2: New York Times opinion writer Farhad Manju is contemplating the coming unraveling of America, and apparently so are a lot of other people. Even if President Trump loses the election, Manju wonders if we can expect anything like a functioning federal government. Quote, when you don't have social trust, when you don't have a shared view of reality, he writes, do you even have a country? His piece yesterday is titled, I'm Doomsday Prepping for the End of Democracy. Thanks so much for joining us, Farhad Manju hi good thanks good to be here so it sounds like what sent you into a bit of a a doomsday panic or maybe just put you over the edge was the republican national convention why
3: um you know i i'm i'm a lefty i was not expecting to um you know be overjoyed at watching the republican convention but i've been watching political conventions for you know two decades at least and um This was just kind of a break, uh, just something I had never seen in terms of just a total kind of lack of talking about policy, about uh, things to do or improve America. And mostly, it just seemed to be kind of a celebration of uh, kind of a cult of personality of Donald Trump and the rest of the Trump dynasty. And it really gave me, you know, really um, unfortunate flashbacks to kind of um, you know, authoritarian regimes that I've seen in movies in and that I've heard of in, um, you know, South America, in Europe. It's It was just very, um, in terms of the aesthetics of it and the way that it was handled, the tone, and especially um, just the enormous number of lies, just outright untruths. And, you know, there was no mention of uh, One hundred eighty thousand people having died of coronavirus. There was no mention of the um, enormous recession we're in. It just felt like it was taking, um, creating an alternate reality that had no bearing in, um, you know, what's happening in the country.
2: I was struck by how you were saying your reaction was less just about policies that you might disagree with, because as you said, you didn't feel like there was a lot that was really put out there, but just this sense that that democracy was destabilizing <laughs> right before your eyes, essentially, like that it went that deep for you.
3: Yeah, I mean, it, it, the, just, the, just the sort of aesthetics of it were that way, like the, um, there were, you know, the pictures of um, the White House with Trump-Pence signs on the White House, uh, you know, reminded me of uh, just kind of like uh, you're seeing uh, some kind of, extra American, un-American takeover of the White House in a way that I just, you know, you associate with sort of post-apocalyptic movies, not um, American democracy. It, it, you know, like one example of, of the kind of um, omission of, of uh, policy is like for several years, for since 2008, it's been a Republican policy mission of, uh, you know, of the party to um, repeal, uh, Obamacare or to just be against uh, the, you know, government uh, taking a, a, a big part in, in healthcare policy. And there was just no mention of Obamacare, not even we don't like it, we want to change it. Just to imagine a political convention that doesn't focus on, you know, what had been like a, a primary domestic policy goal of the party. It, it just suggested to me how deeply taken over this party was, uh, is by, um, by a cult of personality.
2: So last week you put out this tweet that said, and let me read it. It says, let me ask you something. Are you making plans for like, if things go really bad in the next few months, contingencies, etc.? DM me. So I'm curious what kind of responses you got to that.
3: I got, um, I, I said in the piece, I got dozens, but I looked back over it. And it was, you know, more than a hundred, I think, um, of people telling me that they were thinking about, uh, leaving the country or at least exploring their options or doing things that not, you know, didn't amount exactly to leaving, but just kind of planning for the worst. Um, you know, people putting off major purchases, people trying to liquidate cash, um, people buying guns, people buying ammo. Um, you know, every every uh, election, it seems like, Uh, some set of liberals kind of joke or not joke that they're going to escape to Canada if their candidate doesn't win. But this, there was something kind of more serious here. Uh, People were not kind of joking about it. And, you know, I I, I believe them because I've had these conversations uh, in my family with my wife, with my parents, like, what do you do uh, if Donald Trump wins again? Um, And then beyond that, what do you do if even if he he loses, um, the country still just sort of is in this uh, dystopian, remains in this kind of dystopian land.
2: Yeah, and just so mired in an inability to function. Well, let me put Mm -hmm. that question out to our listeners. Are you doomsday prepping for the end of democracy too like Farhad Manchu or or maybe something else? I mean there seems to be no shortage of options these days, climate change, other things. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe I'm just being a little too fatalistic but but if you are tell us uh, why and how or if you are optimistic about America's prospects tell us Why? as well. Give us a call, 866-733-6786. Again, 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum, or email your questions to forum at kqed.org. Do you relate to Farhad Banju's fears or have a different opinion? He's an opinion columnist for the New York Times, and his latest column is, I'm Doomsday Prepping for the End of Democracy. And Beth writes, I'm not an alarmist, but one thing I learned from my elders who lived through the Great Depression and World War II, and then us living through the 2008 recession and current pandemic, is that people need to hope for the best but plan for the worst. And well, you know what? best comment reminds me a little bit, Farhad Maju, about what you were saying about your wife and how maybe that that you felt like she was or other Gen Xers like her were being too blase about the, the likelihood and that you as somebody who escaped to America from apartheid era South Africa, that that might play a role in why you might be able to see things more clearly. I mean, do you think so? Do you think that sort of perspective you're able to have sort of removed from this slightly gives you a better I sense mean- of what's going on?
3: Yeah, I, I mean, I definitely do. I feel like I, uh, I've i always sort of, you know, I've, I've been in the United States since I was about nine years old. So it's it's been a while, but it's it hasn't been my entire life. So I have this um, perspective on the U.S. that is slightly from the outside. And I heard from a number of people who shared this, you know, where either immigrants or, um, you know, their parents were immigrants that had this idea that, you know, America has not... Uh, for, for the past several decades, for many kind of privileged Americans, uh, it's been domestically stable. There hasn't been, you know, uh, there's been political discontent, but there hasn't been a worry that the country is kind of unraveling as there may have been, you know, in the, in the, in the sixties, for example. Um, And I feel like a lot of people have this sense that even despite what you see on the news, even despite the kind of spectacle of the Republican convention, that, you know, that it can't happen here. Um, and I, because, I, because I've been in a place where that kind of thing has happened, and um, I, I, I sort of felt it in a closer way, I, I, I definitely think it could happen here. Um, you know, my wife, who's a native-born American, who has lived in Northern California for much of her life, um, is, you know, shares, I think, my political alarm, but not this kind of visceral sense that uh, things could go very badly here and we may need to plan some other way.
2: Well, let me go to Terry in Larkspur. Hi, Terry. Join us.
4: Hi. I feel something also even harder and sadder is there is a whole lot of people who have already given up, who just feel like. there's no way this can get better and how do you even begin to fix any of this anymore and it just feels like we're already just looking like is this it is this how we're going to live in this country now forever and it just feels so incredibly we can't even wrap our minds around it anymore that we've already given up like there's this huge I feel like there's this give up of of a huge part of our country.
2: I've heard some of that too. Let me go to Dan and Martinez. Dan, how about you?
4: I'm sorry, what was the question?
2: How about you, uh, go right ahead. What did you want to say about prepping for the end of democracy?
0: Well, I'm, I'm very concerned because at the moment we see, um, you know, a lot of um, action to defund the police. So if we had an emergency in our city, it seems right now that the police force are very uh, understaffed. And if there was more rioting and, and more um, unrest and you call the police, uh, would they even come? You know, I don't think our country's secure. I think when Donald Trump talks about Venezuela, um, look at what he's done here. This country is already like Venezuela. Our economy is collapsing and uh, it's, it's very concerning.
2: Well, Dan, uh, we'll let that stand. Let me go to Anne really quick. I'm just trying to get a few in here before uh, this segment ends. Hi, Anne. Go right ahead. Anne and Campbell.
4: Oh, good morning. You know, I think how we word things is very important. And um, using hyperbole and not really looking... Yes, saying that it's hopeless for democracy is saying we've given up the fight, and we have not given up this fight, and it also gives people some inertia to hear hopeless rather than we are in a fight to keep our democracy and that we are going to win it, and we're going to win the war against covid and as far as the black lives matter in so the one course i took in sociology when things come up like this it's kind of like a housekeeping of something that was even worse in the past hmm. and now we're putting such light on it that it is transforming things and i don't think it'll go back so i think we're moving forward and there was an old a book i i used in a history course by sound like an old man and he talked about how it was kind of like an ocean wave. There's a push forward and a push back and a push forward, but we never actually go back. Evolution can de-evolve, but I don't think that's happening.
2: Well, Anne, thanks. So Farhad Manju, we've gotten a range of responses here, everything from people who really have kind of given up at this point to people who see this moment and it's inspired them to fight. Your thoughts?
3: Um, You know, I I appreciate that people see this moment and and want to fight. And I think that that's Necessary, of course, for the continuation of this democracy, um, but I sympathize also with those who have given up i mean what 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 do you say to people when you tell them that you know the current president uh, did not win the uh, popular vote that it's possible that he could win again without winning the popular vote that if even if you know everyone you know in California votes uh we you may be able to put the losing candidate ahead in the popular vote but they may not win this is not really in many ways a functioning democracy already and so if people have given up it may be because like they don't see a democratic wage out of this problem at at this point like i i think that you know if democrats win um there needs to be Kind of a wholesale effort to reform democracy, to make people feel that it can work, that it's um, you know, responsive to people's problems. And at this point, it really is tough to see for a lot of people how it is working for them.
2: Well, this listener writes, Jamal Khashoggi, I feel that the absolute lack of response to a journalist being stuffed in a suitcase was nothing short of a trial run for the Trump administration. No one responded, and now that seems like fair game for the future. Robert writes, instead of planning for the worst, why not get active now and achieve a better outcome? This discussion is representative of tens of millions who have, with a fatalistic output, given up without even trying to get engaged. These people have brought us to the current state of affairs as much as the people in power. Joseph in Portland, Oregon, join us. Hi, Joseph.
3: Hi, thank you. Um, I want to say first that I know that Portland is in the news now and it does seem chaotic, but I'm here to tell you that, you know, the kids still ride their bikes in the neighborhoods and most of Portland is is okay, it's safe. Uh, That said, I'm in the security business and
0: I'm dealing with business clients who are really having a lot of problems and lots of crime in their areas. And it's to the point where
3: some owners are telling me that the police won't even come out anymore. So, yes, it is starting to get to that point. And I will say, uh, whether you're right, left, radical, or wherever you are, you know, I've never owned a gun before in my life. I'm vehemently against them. I think that's the major problem of this country. But I am seriously considering getting one now at this point because you just, you know, who knows? All right, Thanks.
2: Mm. Mm. Joseph, thanks. And of course, uh, Farhad manju you, you heard people say that in response to you. This is No Rights. I'm determined to stay focused, positive, informed. It's inconceivable to consider Trump winning. So the terror drives me forward. I'm learning about empathetic canvassing to try and sway as many voters to the Democrats as possible. Get out the vote. I mean, you did try to grasp for some hope in your piece, <laughs> Farhad manju uh, Did it help?
3: Uh, it did help. I mean, I, I I think I spoke to a number of scholars who, who study democracies. Um, while they were, uh, you know, not extremely optimistic, they did point out that, um, for example, uh, we have a free press in this country, which is not the case in many other countries that have slipped into authoritarianism. We have um, a military that. Uh, you know, does not seem like it would participate in efforts at a coup there's, um, or any kind of like extra democratic uh, power grab, Um, There's in in polls, the uh, military shows sort of increasing alarm about the Trump administration when, um, you know, the some military officers criticized the the effort in uh, Washington to put down the protests. So I do think that that. you know, is a good uh, sign.
2: Well, Farhad Manju, your your piece clearly touched a nerve with thousands of responses to your piece and certainly meriting a longer discussion. Marsha writes, I'd like to know a realistic plan for the post-democracy world. I'm not prepared to pick up a weapon and protect my home. Are you? What do we do? Farhad Manju, thank you so much for talking with us this morning.
3: Thanks a lot. Good to be here.
2: Farhad Manju, opinion writer for The New York Times. All right, well, what better way to reground us as we go into the weekend, than our brand new mini segment. We are going to play a song that's getting listeners through 2020. You might remember we launched this project last week, inviting you to share the music that's helping you through these difficult times. We got a lot of responses, thank you, and you can still submit them at kqed.org form forum. We're adding them to a playlist on Spotify. So we're playing one song every Friday through December, and this song was sent to us from a father and daughter peter and torah from san jose
0: as this year has welled up around us this song grace by Harvel, has felt like a, a serene reflection on, on where we are
3: for me it's come to really embody or establish a connection to that concept
4: of grace grace can feel kind of out there unattainable but what I've learned in my life, and especially this year, is that really grace is just how
2: we choose to love and meet those around us.
0: And the song's a reminder that, that we aren't on our own, and that, that this is all about as long as it takes, uh, that we'll we'll find our way home.
4: of pain.
2: That was Grace by Harville. Thanks, Peter and Tora, for sharing it with us. I'm Mina Kim. Have a good weekend.
4: Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio, the Germanicos Foundation, and the Generosity Foundation, and the Bernard Osher Foundation, supporting higher education and
0: the arts.